the most beautiful thing in the world that you and I look for is love. Free love is a black and white contradiction in two words. Love was never intended to be free. You cannot really define love until you understand the one who has created you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You cannot love without giving. Scripture says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. In Genesis 1, 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And just two short chapters later in Genesis 3, 22, and the Lord God said, the man has become just like one of us, knowing good and evil. And we were banished from the garden, separated from God. How do we reconcile this? This knowledge that we love because he first loved us and the fact that we are broken by sin and separated from him. What is this sin that separates us? S-I-N, three little letters. But it's a really big deal to a holy and perfect God. Now we're all cognizant of the capital sins, the sins of the Ten Commandments. Don't steal, murder, lie, covet, no adultery, honor our parents, don't take the Lord's name in vain, honor the Sabbath, don't make graven images and have no other little g-gods slash idols before God. We're all aware of the four letter words we're not supposed to say. I am sure we can all think of something that we think is sin, something we think of as dirty, something we think of as we need to wash it off after we've committed them. But to truly understand sin and a holy and perfect God, you have to understand perfection. Now that's not a concept our fragile human minds can truly grasp, but let's try. Let's work in the book of Genesis before he made us in the beginning. I'm gonna help us better understand perfection by taking us through Genesis 1:27 to overview his creation and the perfection in each stage. So start by visualizing nothing. This is about emptiness, no breeze, no light, no sound. Verse one, he created the heavens and the earth and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. Verse two, he said, let there be light and there was light. And then he separated the light from the darkness. He named them day and night. Then he created the sky. God continued speaking his perfect creation into existence. Next, he gathered the water together and let dry land appear. He commanded the land to produce vegetation and it was so, and God was pleased. It was perfect. He put the lights in the sky and the stars and it was good. He put creatures in the sea and birds in the sky and he told them to multiply. And each day it was good and he was pleased. He told the earth to produce animals and it did wild animals, livestock. And again, God was pleased because his creation was good. At Genesis 1, 25 
through 27, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created us, the apex creature human beings. And then God said, let us make human beings in our own image, in our own likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now I wanna add some of our brushes of perfection into this narrative. Now, does anyone have a favorite sunrise moment? That perfect sunrise that took your breath away. It was so beautiful. And as you shared that story with others, they could see the awe of God in your story. Or a night sky filled with stars a moment so beautiful. My son took a road trip to Arizona. When he got back, he couldn't stop talking about the sky and all the stars. It was amazing to see such a beautiful gift, his appreciation of the universe, such a moment of perfection for me as I watched him exploding with excitement. I saw a beautiful photograph recently of the Neowise Comet taken by Marissa Snyder. As beautiful as that photo was, the perfection of the creation of her eyesight can never be captured on an image. But for those of us who saw that image, there was marvel and wonder. It is really important that we all grasp just a little of this. We all need to feel this sense of perfection bigger than ourselves. Maybe it's a perfect moment in fishing you're out at sea, surrounded by God's creation, and you catch that gigantic tuna. As you shared that meal with family and friends, you were awed by God's provision and your heart was bursting with love. Or maybe you're an educator. Did you know we are all educators? Someone is always watching us learning something. Maybe you're sharing your love of gardening. Maybe you're sharing your love of those perfect tomatoes you grew. Or maybe you're teaching little kids and their eyes are lighting up as you tell them the story of filling their bucket with God's love. And your heart is bursting. Honestly, these are big examples. Maybe here's a smaller one. You are saying grace at the table and everyone has a moment to reflect on what they have and where it came from. Can you, smeal, can you feel that small moment of perfection? Can you feel that small moment of perfection? Raise your hand, say amen, flood the chat with praise hands if that's your thing. Connect right now on those small moments. Why is it so important? Do you understand the reason they are only small moments? The reason is we live in a world of sin. God gave Adam and Eve, the only humans in that perfect creation, one commandment, Genesis 2:17, for you must not eat from the fruit of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. We have all heard the phrase, the forbidden fruit. That's the origin of the phrase. 
Now, we're not going to discuss who tempted who, where the fault lies or any of that. You simply have to understand it was that act of disobedience which led to the banishment of living in that continual state of perfection. It had consequences and we are all still living with those consequences today. Sin is why those moments are small. Sin is where we live and sin is who we are. If you read through the Bible, if you read through the next 47 chapters in Genesis or the 65 books in the Bible in total, all describing the various ways mankind sinned against God's perfect creation and God's ultimate plan for redemption. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about sin. Are you with me? In that original paradise, when God told us not to eat, he was providing perfection. And we chose with our free will to disobey. Now, where are these moments of disobedience for you? Where are you choosing something other than that which leads you to God? Because it is sin. In that perfect paradise, prior to choosing to eat that fruit, where Adam and Eve had no knowledge of their nakedness, living in perfect harmony with creation, there's no knowledge of evil. It simply did not exist. There was no shame. It did not exist. Where we live now, sinners, paradise. Banishment into the world brought many more opportunities for sin. In Genesis 4, Adam and Eve had children, Cain and Abel. Cain murders Abel and chooses to lie about it, lying and murder. We live in a world now where murder and gun violence happen frequently and freely, where the truth is someone's interpretation of facts and where everyone is choosing their own truths above the truths of God. What is that? Choosing your own truth above the truths of God, sin. In the original paradise, God created us in his image, in his likeness. What is this concept of races being inferior or superior to each other? Racism, sin. What is this concept of men being superior to women? In the original paradise, he made them both in his image. Anything less, sin. We don't even leave the book of Genesis before the perfection of the garden is lost to mankind's minds. How far from the perfection of the garden is our mind in this world right now? God wrote the major sins down for us in the time of Moses because we were not capable of remembering them. How many of them are we breaking right now? In the last series, Boundless, we talked about idols, about having our eyes worship anything other than God. What idols are we worshiping right now? because it is sin. Who and where are we choosing to do what we want? Choosing what is wrong instead of what we know is right. Choosing things of us instead of things of God. That is sin. Are we taking time to rest and breathe in the beauty of God and his creation? Or are we simply too busy all the time? It is sin. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus comes and simplifies it. Love God above all else and love your enemies as yourself. What are we choosing more than the things of God? A lifestyle, an image? Are we squeezing God into the margins of our life instead of our lives into the margin left over after we spend time with God? 
sin? Are we loving our enemies? Specifically, we who know Christ, what are we known for? Is it the things of God back to that perfect garden? Do we carry that image with us to remind us of what we're representing, what we want others to see? Are we above our politics, our slogans? Are we man and woman, arms locked together, planting seeds, spreading love, and being agents of reconciliation? Do we carry with us the image of perfection to remind us of what we're representing? If we are not, it is sin. I remember the first time I was holding my son in my arms. It was easily the craziest thing to witness, experience, feel. Instantly, I felt this love welling up in me that was so overwhelming. It was this instant love in me that I would do whatever it takes to love this little person all my life. In my heart, he is perfect. He is perfect and will do whatever, and I will do whatever it takes to have this person know my love, and I hope he would share this same love that comes from Jesus. And of course, reality hits, and he begins to talk and make his own little decisions, and they are not always the best decisions. Things have been breaking, the intensity and the volume of our house has gone drastically up, but even in the midst of the chaos and the crazy, that love has never diminished. It is still there. And that is the same love that I have for both my kids now. There is this unconditional love that I have for them that I will do whatever it takes for them to be loved so much because Jesus loves me this way. And maybe you have someone in your life that you have this same love for. Maybe it's a sibling, a parent, friend, a spouse, whoever it is, you know in your heart you will do anything for them, probably too much for them, but it does not matter because you love them. And this same love is demonstrated through our Savior. As followers of Jesus Christ, we see this same love and passion that Jesus has for us, but even at a greater level, which is almost uh, impossible in our mind. Jesus reveals that even while we still sin, He dies for us. Jesus loves us so much and has done and will do whatever it takes for us to be known and loved by Him. And in that same way, share this same love with others through our life. In this current situation of the world, it seems impossible to show love in everything when everyone is so spread thin. I think in my own life right now, I'm trying to lead my family and demonstrate God's love in every aspect of my life for them. I'm trying to film videos for Sunday for kids, for students ministry. And like many of you, I'm on the phone on Zoom trying to keep my cool as my two little kids keep screaming, Dada, Dada, watch me, look at me, pick me up, help me, Dada, Dada, Dada. In a moment like this, it's tough to demonstrate Jesus' love for us, for our family, for our friends, siblings, anyone, everyone. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Jesus has paid it all. It is finished. Everything we owe or think we will ever owe, He gave it all for you, for me, and for the world so that one day we will call on His name and be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not 
from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus surrounds us with His love, even when it is so undeserving. God Himself poured out His endless love for us on the cross. He was crushed so that we may live. And it's not dependent on what you do, or what you're going to do, or what you have done. God's love is greatly shown by what He's already done for you. He loves you exactly where you are and who you are. Jesus has done whatever Jesus has done and will do whatever it takes for us to know He is our hope, He is our God, our Savior, demonstrating His love for us. And as we follow after Jesus, as we connect with our neighbors, our family, community, will you do whatever it takes to reveal this love of Christ to everyone because what He has done for you? Even in the midst of our chaos, doubt, confusion, unfaithfulness, Christ is for us. He loves us. His love surrounds us. And therefore, let us be known by how we take action in this time of fear, question, uncertainty, through the love of Christ. Let our love for Jesus fill this world of His love, not hate, demonstrating true love of the gospel in every aspect of our life. Whether it is in the, in the store with a mask on, or at home with your family and your social bubble, let us give it our all as we follow after Jesus for His people, His creation, in order to bring us back to His perfect relationship with us. And even when you fail, when you mess up, know that our Savior demonstrated His overwhelming love for you in the midst of all of it and will continue to do so because He will do whatever it takes so that you may know His love for you. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friend. I'm delighted to have the chance to wrap up our message time. I appreciate so much what Lisa and Austin have shared with us today. And for me, the most encouraging thing as we consider Jesus' mandate to us to love each other is to come to this challenge realizing that we are fully equipped to see it through. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We're a new creation, and we have everything we need to live a godly life. How amazing is that? And it's all due to what Christ did for us on the cross and His victorious resurrection from the grave. You see, as I looked at our passage in John 13, what I see is that Jesus didn't give us a complicated set of rules, a complicated set of regulations to be effective in our witness for Him. He didn't say we had to achieve a certain level of education or a great, be a great communicator or earn a certain income to be known as His followers. All Jesus said we have to do is love one another. That's simple enough, right? Well, on second thought, as we all know, 
Loving one another can sometimes be very difficult. In fact, truth be told, it's much easier said than done. And maybe especially so in this time of sheltering in place and the stress and the anxiety that we are all living through. My wife is still working in her office three days a week. And what we have noticed is that we get along with each other much better in the evening after she's been at work all day than we do in the evening after we've been home together with each other all day. Maybe you can relate. So in our remaining few minutes today, I wanna to share with us one simple idea, how we can do this oftentimes complicated thing that Jesus has just asked, no, commanded us to do. Number one, one and only, we must be intentional about love. We must be intentional about love. Colossians 3.14 says, over all other virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is the ultimate virtue, and it's something that we must be intentional. We have to put on, we have to dress ourselves with it. You may have a closet full of clothes, but if your job requires a uniform, there's only one way that you are expected to dress when you go to work. You've got to wear your uniform. Jesus is saying that the dress code, the uniform of a follower of his, is not bling, it's not a pedigree, and it's not fancy perfume or cologne. The dress code, the uniform of a Christ follower, is love. Now, there are lots of ways that we could unpack this idea today, but I want to, us to think about just one way that we can be intentional about expressing love to one another and to those around us. This one idea is especially appropriate after having just partaken together of the Lord's Supper. In Colossians 3.13, Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Just as we learned um, sometime back in Danny's recent series on the complexity of forgiveness, one of the clearest demonstrations of our commitment to Christ is when we choose, just like we have to choose our clothes every morning, when we choose to forgive. Our faith, the Christian faith, is the only faith system on the planet that is grounded on the concept of forgiveness. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Pastor Austin brought that verse to us. The supreme demonstration of the Father's love for us is his willingness to send his own son to die for us. In sending Jesus, God is demonstrating that he is neither waiting nor expecting us to clean ourselves up and then pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps in order to be his witnesses. He's not expecting it of us because he knows we can't. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. So what's the expectation of our Lord in our journey in following him? His expectation is simply that we cooperate with his spirit living within us 
to empower us, to enable us to do what is most important, most difficult, and most like Him. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And that's hard. It was hard for Jesus too. But if His word is true, we can do it. The power is available for us to do it. We're out of time, but I trust the Holy Spirit will reveal to each of us what this means in our specific situation, in our specific life and circle of relationships. We need to remember the one big idea, put on love. And we need to remember to demonstrate that one big idea by choosing to forgive. Let's be intentional about love by choosing to forgive. Intentional love expressed in intentional forgiveness. It applies squarely in the sheltering in place arena. It applies squarely in the social justice arena. It applies in every arena of life. The choice to put on love and the choice to forgive. By this, Jesus says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let me pray for us. Father, we come confessing that a simple concept like this is very hard to do in practice. But we come out of a time just now as we were around your table in our homes with our families or perhaps alone, realizing the extent that you went to to demonstrate what that looks like. And when we examine our own hearts, Lord, we know that we can forgive others if you can forgive us. So help us to do that this week so that we will be known as your followers, and that people will want to know the one that we follow. We love you and we thank, your, thank you for your incredible love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>